those of you who know me and have been here a couple of times for the services that we've been doing know that I'm going that I've taken on the rather strange task of preaching through the minor prophets. I, I say that because it's not common that you hear people preach from the minor prophets. There's a good reason for that. If you've read the minor prophets, they're not the most uplifting passages in scripture generally. Uh, at least not at first blush. I think that's because we don't read it correctly, but that is something that w that's a, been a danger for us. So it seems strange to go through the minor prophets. And right now, as we're going through Hosea, we're going to be looking at things that honestly don't seem very good. If you'll remember, I started off in Hosea talk, uh, talking about the very strange image that God has Hosea do. He asks Hosea to marry someone who is going to be unfaithful to him and that is going to leave him and absolutely wreck his life because that's going to be a sign for the people of Israel that that's the situation God is in with his people. His people have, have gone against him. He loves them. He sought after them. He wanted to be married to them and joined to them. But they ran away. Worse, they used other things. They seek after other gods. Just as Gomer, Hosea's wife, sought after other men, other, other joys, other benefits. So too the people of Israel did. And then we saw how God talked about how this makes him very angry. Kind of an understatement. It makes him angry and hurt and jealous. And we kind of get it because we recognize that that's how we'd feel in that kind of situation. And the people of Israel had the advantage of being able to see Hosea, who's going through this. And they're thinking, man, if God feels like that, he must feel pretty horrible. And then we talked about in Hosea how God then says, but I will woo you back. I will call you back to myself. Though, as the strange names of the children had, though I have said that you are not my people, you will be my people again. And you will be drawn back to me. And then we, start, we started to look in Hosea chapter 4, about the oracle that God says, an, or, an oracle where God talks about all of the ways in which Israel has gone against him. Now, there is a method to my madness. There's a reason we're doing this. In fact, two. First of all, if any of you have been believers for any length of time, and I mean almost any length of time, I think when I first became a believer in Jesus Christ, it took me about 15 minutes. You know that it's really hard to fight against the sin in your own life. Do you agree? I mean, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. <laughs> Good, I was worried for a second. Because there are some Christians who have the strange belief that, you know, if you, want, if you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that means you'll never have to deal with sin again because sin will automatically and magically disappear from your life. And it took f literally 15 minutes in my life 
before I recognized that wasn't, in fact, the case. Um, yeah, I, I, I felt the weight of God's hatred against lust in my life, and I prayed to God, Lord, please save me. And literally, you know, the commercial right after, <laughs> there was just a beautiful woman in it, and right there, lust. Sin is hard to deal with. And if you're a believer, you know that it's hard to deal with. And as believers, there's, there's two major mistakes we can fall into when it comes to sin, especially sin in our own lives. The first one, which is probably the uh, one I see most commonly, is to imagine that sin isn't a big deal. We pretend that sin is just a minor thing, you know, well, God has defeated it, so you know, we don't even have to worry about it anymore. Sin is just something that's in the background there. We don't have to deal with it. That's dangerous because it ends up with us failing to recognize the sin in our own lives. We fail to make war against our sin. And so we end up in greater and greater amounts of sin. But we'll deal with that in a minute as, to, as we go through Hosea chapter 4. But the second one is probably more deadly. And I've unfortunately seen this one a few times too. A believer comes to faith in Jesus. A person who usually has a kind of a fainter heart, a kind of an e more easily compassionate heart. They find out that they have sin in their lives even after they came to saving faith in Jesus. And they imagine it didn't take. Because I've got sin now, that means then that I guess Jesus didn't really save me. I guess I really don't know him. I guess he really hasn't come into my life. He isn't really my God and I'm not really his child. The promise may be true, but I didn't really have faith. And both of these, while they both have some inkling to them, uh, no one who continues in sin is, uh, knows Christ, as the word says, continues in sin knowingly and unrepentantly, that it means. And it does say in the word that we need to, uh, we, that God, Christ has defeated sin and that it is no longer a bar to our salvation. But sin is still there. It is still an enemy and it still works in our lives and we still need to deal with it. That is the first reason I think we need to deal with what we see in Hosea chapter four. The second and far more important one, it was talked about when Actually, our brother Jeff prayed. You can't actually see the glory of the God who saves unless you recognize that he saves you. Unless you know the power of what he has saved you from. Unless you know that his work in you is presently saving you from that very power, that very insidious nature of sin. If you don't care about what he's saving you from, you can't see the glory of who he is in your life right now. That's really dangerous. Not to mention the fact it's barring you from an, an amazing amount of joy. So the two points I want to do today, the two goals I have, spoiler alert for the end here, I want, first of all, for us to look through and see the power, the 
nastiness, the seriousness of sin so that we will know what it is we're fighting in our lives. But more importantly, I want to lift up God, the God who saves, revealed through Jesus Christ and his saving us so that we would see him not just as a byword, not just as a thing we talk about sometimes, but as our glorious treasure above all things. I want us to see God as glorious, and so that's why we're going through this. So with that in mind, (laughs) I hope you'll have some patience with me as we go through this, because Hosea chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, which is where we're going to be, is all about the sin of the people of Israel. I'll start to read it, verse 1. Hosea chapter 4. By the way, you probably should open your Bibles. It's going to be important. We're going to be looking at it a lot. Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend and let none accuse for with you is my contention, O priest. This is talking then to the leaders. You shall stumble by day, the prophet shall also stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me, and since you have forgotten the law of God, I will also forget your children. (laughs) Yet the more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the types of mountains and burnt offerings in the hills under oak and poplar and terebinth because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery, for the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes, and people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Avon, and swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave them alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. The wind has wrapped them in its wings. 
and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Again, as I said, not a very uplifting passage. Not something that you know, you're, um, you're likely to see put on a coffee cup anytime soon. Unless it's a very weird coffee cup. I'd be interested if you're selling it, by the way. First of all, though, I want to uh, I'm starting to, to, to preach from verse 12. I want you to actually notice the first two words of verse 12, at least in most of your translations. What are the first two words, you think? Verse 12. My people. This is important for the context of everything that we're going to say here. Remember that what God said about in the first couple of chapters that he will say that they were no longer my people, but that he would woo them again to be again his people. Notice that it says, my people. This is not a sign that God has forsaken his people. This is not God saying, I will walk away from them. In fact, the precise opposite, as we as Christians know from the fact that Jesus came and died for our sins and rose again on the third day for our salvation. We know that God has not forgotten his people. Even though we sin, even though we have been lost in the depths of evil, we remain his people if we have the faith in him. But it is important to look at the actual words that are said here. Because it's not true that people who believe don't have sin. You disagree with me? Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We have sin. Yet, and as we can see in Hosea, the people of Israel have sin. Yet, we can also see that God clearly doesn't walk away from his people. His love, his loving kindness triumphs over our sin. Though, as we will see, sin is quite powerful. It is not more powerful than the love of God. But more of that in a moment. Here in Hosea 12 to 19, or chapter 4, verse 12 to 19, we see the real dangers of rebellion to God. We see that sin is not something we should play with. It is not something that we should poo-poo and pretend isn't there. We should take it seriously. And it shows why we should take it seriously. So I've got three points, or actually four points now. I changed it this morning but four points. And the first one is going to be what we see about, and all of them are about what sin does. So yeah, this is an entire sermon about sin. First of all, sin is a matter of trust and desire. This is important for a lot of reasons. We like to believe that sin is the things we do that are bad. I mean, we, we like to say that, you know, that thing that that person did, that's a sin. 
if uh, uh, when I was a kid, you know, a standard thing that people would say when something, when somebody, something horrible happened to somebody else would be, that's a sin. Yeah, it's just bad stuff that you do. Yet what we see here in Hosea, ver, uh, verse 12 to, seven, 12 to 19, is not that sin is just a um, work. It's a matter of our own hearts. It's a matter of our own desires. It's a matter of where we're placing our trust. Look at verse 12. My people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles. Besides being really, really silly, I mean, have you ever tried talking to wood? Please don't, it's, it, it really is a waste of time. But imagine, besides that, it's them actually showing trust in something other than God. They're not inquiring of the God of Israel, the God who actually has prophets working among them to get their desires, to see what they need to do, to see what, what would be good advice. They're asking their staff. Why would anybody do that? Text tells us. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they've left their God to play the whore. They, they sacrifice on the tops of mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth. Why? Because the shade is good. That gives us a bit of a hint. You see, when you see the sin that's in your life, when you actually recognize that you're doing something wrong or that you've got a wrong uh, idea, you've got two possible reactions. You could seek the God who saves you and loves you and, and sent his son to die for you and repent of your sin, or, and this is far more common even among believers, you can seek an alternate explanation of whether that was sin. You can really... Re the people of Israel really enjoyed sacrificing on the high places and under these things because they really like shade. And don't get me wrong, if you've ever been to the Middle East in summer, shade is awesome. But it's not a reason to change your viewpoints. Yet that's what they had done. They saw what was happening. They saw that they had been walking away from God, that they'd been doing the wrong things because, well, you know, there's guys like Hosea running around and telling them that they're doing the wrong thing. And instead of listening to the God of Israel, they got a second opinion. We would never do that, would we? Would we? See, this is not just merely an issue of their activity. It's an issue of their heart. Their heart is aimed towards something other than God. Not the other oracles, not the things that they're seeking of the altered advice. Where they've moved, they're after their own pleasure. They're after their own enjoyment. They're after making sure that everything reaffirms them. And unfortunately, this is a very common thing. It's something that honestly the world has seen. In his best-selling book, uh, The Happiness Hypothesis, 2006, a social psychologist from the University of Virginia, Jonathan Haidt, says this. Modern theories about rational choice and information processing don't adequately explain the weakness of the will. See, our wills are weak. And 
this is a secular guy noticing that our wills are weak. The older metaphors about controlling animals work beautifully. The image that I came up with myself, for myself as I marveled at my weakness was that I was a rider on the back of an elephant. When the elephant really wants to do something, I'm no match for him. He continues, in moral arguments, the rider goes beyond being an advisor to the elephant, he becomes a lawyer, fighting in the court of public opinion to persuade others of the elephant's point of view. The elephant being your desires, your wants, your emotional attachments. And you, the little rational guy standing on the top, generally follows along. And it can be terribly insidious. And it's what Israel is happening, what Israel is doing. You see, it's very easy for us to come to the word of God, to come to even our gods, to come to all of our knowledge and try to find reasons why the things we want to do are pretty much okay. Oh, that's, it, it's, it can start small. Oh, the sin that I, that I struggle with, the sin that I have in my life, no, that's just a small sin. It's not a big sin like murder or something. You know, it's only idolatry, which by the way is the worst sin according to biblical text, but let's not go there. We like to reassess everything around us to affirm ourselves. In fact, it gets even worse in our culture because our culture is, tends to be focused more on our feelings generally as a basis of truth. Where the people of Israel asked for something at least outside of themselves, the block of wood, we tend to ask our own feelings about whether something is right or wrong. I mean, I, I even read this this week in a theologian's argument. He's a theologian. He's trying to tell us about God. And his knockdown, drag-out argument for why we had to agree with him is, I feel that God would do this. That's his argument. I feel that this is the way God would be. You get the problem here? He's not actually looking to God. He's not trying to find out what God says about God. He's trying to find out what his feelings say about God. And if his feelings disagree with what the word of God says, his feelings are right. I mean, it, we come by it honestly, and most of us have been raised on Disney films where they tell us that, you know, you just follow your feelings and everything will be fine. I mean, no offense, I don't ever want, if I ever have a daughter, I don't want my daughter to follow what Disney princesses teach them. Because it's crazy. They follow their own feelings all the time. I mean, it, it's strange because one of the earliest places I saw this, have, has anybody, have all of you seen The Empire Strikes Back? It's the second uh, of the original trilogy films. Okay, uh, I'm going to hope that everybody has already at least knows the story of The Empire Strikes Back because it's a spoiler alert here. I'm going to spoil something. At the, in the battle scene, at the end, there's Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker are fighting, and Luke Skywalker is knocked off the, uh, off the catwalk in the Cloud City. And 
he's holding on there and Darth Vader says this amazing phrase that everybody, uh, everybody has been misquoting ever since, no, I am your father. And that, you know, the, the part that gets interesting is what happens immediately after that when he says, he says, search your feelings. You know it to be true. And for some reason, the entirety of Western culture ever since then has been listening to our feelings to try and figure out what the truth is and then rationalizing afterwards. We'll even do it with our Bibles. I'll look at my Bible and it'll say something that I don't like. It says that this thing that I really, really enjoy is sinful. And so I will go back and I will find every academic article I can. I'll go back into history and I'll try to nuance something to make that text say something different than what it actually says. And I'm claiming to be biblical while I'm doing it. See, the problem isn't that we don't read our Bibles or that we do read our Bibles. That is a problem, by the way. You should read your Bibles. The problem is how we read our Bibles. Because sin is far deeper than just the actions we do. Sin goes to the heart of who we are, what we desire. If we desire something that is in rebellion to God, we will reinterpret the world, including the Word of God, to affirm our evil. You can talk to me later about some places where I think we do that. Uh, I don't do that from pulpits usually because I'm being recorded and this will show up in Twitter somewhere. But this is exactly what's happening with Hosea in, in, in the this, in this situation. The people of Israel have decided that they want these things that are not God. And so in order to validate it, they found other oracles. They've built another religion, an alternative, an, al an alternate faith to the faith of the God of Israel to try and reaffirm what they want the world to be like. And we do it all the time. You see, and this is the problem with sin, at least the first problem with sin. We often desire a, a surface, shallow affirmation of ourselves over being transformed into the truth, to be into the image of Christ. We often desire something on the surface, something that gives us a basic acceptance, rather than to be changed, to be made new. We don't want the truth, honestly. We want to be comfortable. But that's not all that's sin, and that's where sin gets us. We don't desire God, we desire the gifts of God. And if the gifts of God don't come from God directly, and he says that we shouldn't get them, well, we'll find another God, which is exactly what happens. And unfortunately, it isn't limited to people outside the church. So sin, first of all, is about your trusts and desires. But second of all, this is probably even more dangerous, verses 13 to 15. Sin corrupts our trusts and desires. Verse 13, 
let me start the second half here where it's closer to what I want to get at. Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. Now, notice here. They start off with looking for oracles. They start off going in the wrong way with seeking after alternate gods. And it ends up with your daughters playing the whore, your brides committing adultery. And God says, I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes and a people without understanding shall come to ruin. You see, what's happened here is that where a sin that was in one place, namely their desire to look to other things for truth, has morphed and changed and expanded, both in their own lives, where they start committing crass adultery generally, and into the families, where their families follow into this too. So where they've just been unfaithful to God, now they're unfaithful to each other where once upon a time it was just about me and God, and I'm just having a a sin situation with God, now it's become community. You see, sin corrupts trust and desires. It doesn't just stop at the level that it started. You can see this, by the way. Where one little sin has been accepted, where one little desire to seek after something other than God. If I've already decided that I can change what God says to allow what I want, I'm not going to stop with that one sin I have right now. And second of all, the people who love me, the people who care about me, the people who, for good or ill, trust me, will follow me. Um... I'm going to be sexist and politically incorrect for a moment. Husbands, fathers, that's you. When you seek after the falsehoods of the world, when you embrace your sin, you're asking your children to be corrupted. You're asking your wife who you begged to marry you. You're asking her to be corrupted. You are failing horribly when this happens. Again, remember what I started with. You are still a child of God. God still can work in your life. Christ is still available, but that doesn't change the danger of what sin is. It doesn't just stay with you. And those of us who are single like me, you're not out of the woods. Your friends, your family, people around you, They're going to see you. They're going to listen to you. And they can follow you into your sin. And uh, this is not something that people in the world will generally accept because for some reason, we believe that we're all individuals. Kind of weird, isn't it? We're in the time when we are the most heavily integrated with the rest of the world that we have ever been. Right now... At this moment, I am relying on Dave back there to make sure the sound works, or you don't hear me. His choices are affecting my ability to preach. It's even more than that. He's using electricity. Do you know where electricity comes from? It doesn't just magically appear out of the wall. People create that. 
There's thousands of people working right now to make sure that the electricity is getting to this system so that I can talk. We're heavily integrated. My choices affect other people. Other people's choices affect me. It happened, it's happening all the time, so often that we don't even notice it. It gets even more interesting. If there's, a, if there's any news-making event that happens, I don't know, in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, I will find out about that about three seconds after I look at my phone, after I sit down. Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia is on the other side of the planet. We are heavily, heavily integrated, and yet, for some reason, when it comes to our sin, when it comes to the choices we make, we imagine that it's only between me and God. That this one thing, this one facet of our lives is only this way. When everything else in our lives is everywhere. For goodness sakes, I know what half of you had for lunch yesterday. It's because you put it on Instagram. Think about that. I mean, I put a picture of my library up. There's like 87 people who liked it. I, about 87 people have seen my library, and I haven't had that many people in my house. We're integrated. And yet, for some reason, we imagine that our sin is going to stay with us. And it's only going to be this one thing that we embrace. Sin corrupts, and because of its corruption, it won't stay where we liked, wanted it to stay. And I mean, this is true in the church, too. We, <laughs> I mean, we, we, we like to imagine that we can uh, isolate ourselves in church from the world out there. Uh, just a bit of a hint. The guy who was at work last Friday is the guy sitting in the pew right now. The lady who yelled at her kids last, last Friday, that's the same person in the pew now. You're not a different person. You didn't become different when you walked in through the door. You won't become a different person when you walk out. Yet for so often, why do we act like it? We imagine that the sin in the world is going to not leak into the church. The sins that we do out there isn't going to leak into what, how we function here. That's crazy, yet we believe it, don't we? At least I don't think we openly believe it, but we act like we do, because we spend our time pretending that we have it all together when obviously we don't. That's why churches shouldn't be places where people lie, even about the things that we think, we, we think people want to hear. You don't really want to hear my, uh, that I fail. No, actually I do. Uh, I, I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to be able to pray for you. I don't want to pray for the best version of you that you've come up with in your own head. I don't want to pray for Facebook person. I want to pray for you. That's why we should need to be open. And even worse, we imagine that the sins that we have in our church will change if we move to another church. I mean, there are good reasons to move to other churches. Don't get me wrong. I mean, if your church is not preaching, uh, is not preaching from the Bible, it isn't uh, preaching Jesus, yeah, find another church. But let's face it, the vast majority of people who move churches these days aren't moving because they, they have deep theological differences with other churches. They're moving because they, the, the church said something they didn't like. And because of that, they imagine they can just simply move to another church. Doesn't work that way. 
We aren't isolated. Your sin doesn't stay in one place because sin corrupts. Sin corrupts individually. Sin corrupts as a community. Sin is very, very dangerous. So sin is about our, our trusts and desires. Sin corrupts our trusts and desires. But third, and even more damaging, sin enslaves our trusts and desires. And if you're putting your ears on right now, put your ears on pretty heavily for this part because this is kind of what makes me glory in Jesus the most. Because let's face it, I was a slave to sin before I came to faith in Jesus. And I'm not using a metaphor here. I am being a literalist in the extremist sense. Sin enslaves. I mean that as being a slave of sin. In verse 17 and 19, they explain it. Ephraim is joined to idols, leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. So when they drink too much, and as a result, they have no more drink, do they turn back to God? Do they stop their sin now that their sin has reached its, uh, its basic end? No they sin more, they find another one, they whore. Their rulers dearly love shame. They begin to love the sin and seek after it. A wind has wrapped them in their wings, biblically that's talking about kind of a, a chaotic thing, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices, because sin enslaves. It changes who you are. You begin to desire things that you shouldn't want to desire. Ephraim here, a, a, a word for Israel generally, loves their shame. That's what God is saying. The things that they love are crazy. They desire things that are destructive. They are aiming for stuff that is going to move them away from glory and yet they're glorying in it, as if this is great. And this happens to everyone, honestly. The more you embrace sin, the more you seek after sin, the more you begin to love sin, the more you desire more sin. It comes to the point that eventually you don't want to know God. You don't want to know God you get how deep that is? You don't want to. It's not just that you have a physical, it's not that you have a physical inability to turn to God, it's that you don't want to turn to God because you don't like him. The God, the greatest in beauty, the creator of the universe, who in his glory saves us, who loves us with an unconditional love. If you embrace your sin long enough, you will hate him and run away from him and find anything, anything at all to blind you from him. Sin enslaves. And this is why we shouldn't be very arrogant to people who don't know Jesus. Because we, of all people, should know the power of sin in our lives. We should know that before God opened my eyes gloriously to his glory and to his saving works in Jesus Christ, 
I really didn't want to know him. I, was, I wasn't uh, some, some person sitting in the corner all devastated because I didn't know God. I hated God. I wanted joy, I wanted peace, I wanted patience, I wanted all that stuff, but I didn't want it in God. I wanted it on my own terms until God gloriously opened my eyes and I could see him and seek after him. Friends, make no mistake, if you are, have faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus did a miracle in your lives. Amen? Seriously, that, that's really weak. He did a miracle in your lives. He's doing a miracle in your lives. And friends, if we pray, he can do a miracle in other people's lives. And that's what it is when we ask people to come to saving faith in Jesus. We're asking Jesus to do a work in their lives so that he would open their eyes to see the glories of God and seek after him. <laughs> and it's available. Sorry, I am way over time. I apologize. But there is a fourth facet to sin. And this is the worst. 14b and 18 and 19. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes, and a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Skip down to verse 18. When the drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring, their rulers dearly love shame, a wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. If sin was just a matter of being uh, separated from God and not knowing him, you know, it could be seriously okay if people simply embraced their sin and just didn't know God. I mean, that, 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 that avoids joy. But here's the other thing. Sin destroys you. Sin destroys you. If you embrace sin long enough, not only will you rebel against God and run away from him, but running away from God is destruction. The result of sin is death. This is even before God punishes you. Before he brings the just punishment for your rebellion against him, sin destroys you. It moves you away from all things that are life and good. And we know this too, don't we? If you've embraced your sin long enough, you, you know places in your life where sin took over enough for you to know that it was going to end in something terrible and tragic. You've made the decisions that you knew you shouldn't make and are now picking up the pieces of those decisions. You know what it's like. I know what it's like. Sin destroys. but here is the amazing part. Remember my context? My people? Jesus Christ came and lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserve. He rose, ag he rose again on the third day to show that all the sin is paid for. 
And friends, he promises that by his Holy Spirit, he will indwell us and change us from one degree of glory to another. As horrible as sin is, it is no match for Jesus. As terrible as the sin is in your life, as terrible as the sin that you may even be embracing right now is, it doesn't have to last any longer. We have the opportunity to repent. We have the opportunity to believe because God has given us that opportunity. And he didn't just pay for it with just giving us words on a page. He came and went on a cross for our sake, for that reason. Friends, friends, the glory of God can be revealed today in that he saves you again from the sin you've been embracing. You don't need to stay in your sin. You don't need to stay separated from God, not a moment longer. I don't need to do an altar call to tell you this. Just turn to Jesus now, where you're sitting. I, I mean, don't even wait for me to finish. I'm kind of blathering on here. Just turn to Jesus now. You see, that's my first application. Repent and believe. Friends, the glory of God is that he has saved us. Do you understand that everything that I've told you about sin, everything I have told you about sin, how horrible it is, how much we have to fear it and run away from it and destroy it and kill it, Christ has defeated it. You don't believe me, do you? If you did, you'd be a lot happier about that. He has defeated sin. If you are trusting in Jesus today, he has defeated your sin. Why live in sin anymore? You don't have to. Christ is available now. He's hearing you now by his Holy Spirit. He can move in your heart now. He's closer than your breath. Oh, friends, just turn to him. Repent and believe. Turn away from the sin. Turn to him. Trust in the God who saves. Second of all, my second application. Seek God. Friends, seek after God. And I, I have to open that up a little bit because that's one of those Christian phrases we tend to use. You know, I say, seek God. And you say, oh yeah, oh, amen, seek God. What I mean is, set aside in your heart right now that you will seek after God wherever he is found. So, that means when you open your Bible tomorrow morning, you sign up for Pastor Steve's, you know, read, pray, 360 thing, he goes through a part of Job, and you see something in the text that rankles you. Set it aside in your heart that right now, you're going to listen to what God says, and you're going to obey him. That you're going to trust that what his way is going to do is far more valuable than your way, regardless of what it's call, calling you to change. Set aside in our hearts today 
that God is more glorious, more valuable, more to be desired than anything else and seek after him even when it seems hard. I'm not going to go, uh, go, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be academic. I'm not saying that you shouldn't look at the texts. I'm not saying that you shouldn't learn Greek and Hebrew if you want to or look at all that kind of stuff. You sh probably should if you want to. But I mean that your goal needs to be, what did God say? I will believe that. Not just what did, what do I think God says here, but seek after what God actually says. Because friends, even as we see the depths of depravity, the horrors of sin, know that Jesus is greater than that. That your sin can be dead now. And that even the things that you, you fight against now, they can be dealt with. And that God has promised that he will. But just seek him. Follow him. And as Forrest Gump immortally say, that's all I've got to say about that. Let's pray. <sighs> Loving, gracious Father, I am relatively sure that I didn't show even a smidgen of how glorious you are to this congregation. So Lord, I pray that people would open their eyes through your word to see you through it. Oh God, you are more valuable than anything we could seek after, than anything else we could desire. Oh God, give us a desire for you above everything else. Give us the ability to see your grace, to see your glory, to see you. and to despise sin because it isn't you. In Jesus' name, amen.